We are glad for this Memorial Day time, this Memorial Day season, as we think about those who have sacrificed for us. Um, read a couple of books in the last couple of weeks about Navy SEALs and uh, the amazing sacrifice that they have made and the training that they go through. And, uh, sometimes I think that what they receive and the way that they are trained ought to be a prerequisite for some of the folks who serve in leadership of our country. Amen. I thank the Lord for somebody like a Dan Crenshaw who was a Navy SEAL and and uh, stepped on an IED. Well, he didn't actually. I fell in front of him. Stepped on a IED. I always say it wrong. IED. IED. Stepped on an IED, and as a result, he was blinded. And the fellow that actually stepped on it, he actually um, was a recipient of the explosive stuff that ended up blowing up in his face there. But he serves in Congress, if I'm correct, and. Uh, but he's got conviction about what needs to take place in our country. He knows the fiber of what we need to stand for. And, um, and there are others that, uh, who have been trained and have received the kind of training that helped us to understand, helps, gives us a wonderful example by which we should follow and serve and appreciate and, in our country. And of course, it's not just all about patriotism. We're, we, serve a, we, we serve a different master, amen? We, we're, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his kingdom that we are, that we are citizens of. And, and uh, we should serve with the same kind of valor and honor and integrity the kingdom of God like these men have this country that we call ours, America. But we're thankful for their example and we're thankful for their training. And I think we would do well to emulate some of the spirit that they have for our Lord Jesus Christ, amen, and live for him with that sort of honor, integrity, and fervor. And so I'm going to preach to you this morning. Um, you know the passage right here, but uh, the message this morning I want to preach is what, ask what I shall give thee. Ask what I shall give thee. You know, how many of you ever had a dream that came true? How many of you had a dream come true before, okay? How many of you had a dream you wished wouldn't come true, okay? Yeah, had a few of those, and uh, I think all of us have, you know, dreams are funny things, you know. We get in this uh, state, and I understand we have sleep cycles, and you dream in a certain cycle of that sleep, and you usually go into these three cycles of sleep, and depending upon which one you wake up in, it has a lot to do with um, what you remember as far as your dreams are concerned. But we all dream. And actually, God has given us dreams. He's given us the ability to uh, take our situations of life, and he puts us in a sleep, and, and a little to your mind has the ability to unravel and to, um, uh, I guess you could say, calm down and simmer down uh, some of the things that you go through in life's experience, and dreams are part of that. And, uh, but this dream was a very unique dream. Uh, Solomon, you know, the Bible has several different people that were very strongly influenced by dreams. And, um, and obviously, Solomon was in the midst of uh, a very influential dream, I guess you can say, in his life. And so um, when you think about what was uh, given him, and you think about this experience, it really is an amazing experience. I guess you could say this was an epic 
incident in Solomon's life. When you consider what God did for him and what he asked for, an epic incident. And so, um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I done told you. How about that, okay? Hopefully by the time we get through, you'll hear what I said and understand what I said. My first point is this. This is my outline. I'm giving you my outline so you know where I'm going. Hopefully by the time I get there, you'll know I've been there, okay? I hope you came along with me on the way, okay? Number one, I want to talk about the awesome responsibility that Solomon had. Number two, I want to talk about an authentic rationale. In other words, he had a way of thinking that was authentic. It was genuine. We want to talk about this genuine rationale, his manner of thinking, the way he thought and the way he approached his responsibility. Then we want to talk about an admiral request. And this is the request he made in verse number nine. We want to talk about this request that he made. And then we want to also talk about an amazing reply and a reply actually that God gave to the request that he made here in this particular passage. And so, um, so this is where we're going as far as this message is concerned. And hopefully, like I said, we'll get there. All right? He was personally, Solomon was personally visited by the Lord. What, a, what, what an amazing thing. And, of course, we know that God lives within us. We're Christians. God lives within us. Um, you know, the Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In the New Testament, we have a unique, we have a unique advantage over Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints, the Holy Spirit came upon them and the Holy Spirit would leave. He didn't always stay with them because Christ, he wasn't sealed in the hearts of those believers at that day and time because Christ did not yet die on the cross and make it possible for that sealing to take place. But once Christ died and he paid the price for our salvation, it was then we were able to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So we have a unique, uh, I guess you could say, uh, advantage over the Old Testament believers, and that is that we have a Spirit of God that does not depart from us. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of the living God lives within you, and He's sealed within you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tell us that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our expectation, our earnest of our inheritance, until, the, uh, until we see the Lord Jesus Christ come again. And so, we see this here. So, we see here the integrity of Solomon's heart is tested in this particular incident. It literally paved the way for his future. And uh, he had no time to prepare for it. It wasn't like he was able to sit there and say, okay, God's coming tonight, and God's going to come visit me tonight, so I need to make sure that I'm ready for whatever he is, asks me to do or asks of me. I need to be ready for this. No, this was not prepared. In other words, he was not able to prepare for this very unique visitation that he received of the Lord that particular night. So he had no inkling that this was going to even occur. He probably didn't even realize that it was happening as it was happening because he was in a dream. And uh, how many of you have had a dream before that was so real? And you woke up and you go, oh, you know, let down, you know, like, oh my goodness, that was so good. I wish that one kept going. How many of you had a dream that was so real? And you woke up and you go, whoo. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad that was a dream. I didn't want that one to continue. I was in big trouble, you know. And uh, so, but this was a dream that he had that obviously had most wonderful uh, uh, implications in his life. So, again, he had no idea. Not only that it was happening, he had no idea how this was going to impact his future. And so, 
very unique thing that took place here in Solomon's life. So number one, we want to talk about an awesome, an awesome responsibility. Now I want you to know something. Solomon was young. Do you realize that? He was a young man when this took place. Now I wonder how many of you know how young he was. Any guesses? 18, okay. Any others? 25. 25. Any others? 13. 13. 13, 25, 18, 18. You're all close. You're all close. From all indications, some uh, Bible scholars think he was 12, some Bible scholars think he was 14, and some believe he is 20. I tend to lean on the 20, and I'll tell you why. Okay? 20 years of age is about what I believe Solomon was when this took place. Okay? Um, I lean this way because he reigned from 970 to 931. That's 40 years, okay? So he reigned there in Jerusalem for 40 years, according to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 42. Rehoboam was born prior to Solomon's reign. So we know this from the scriptures. It tells us this in 1 Kings 14, 21. And Rehoboam was 41 when he began to reign. Okay, so you put these facts together. Basically, it tells us that when he was old, his wives turned his heart away from the Lord, and old was considered after 60. I'm sorry, Ron. I'm sorry to tell you that, but yeah. All right, so um, according to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, this is the connotation we have from the Scriptures, okay? So you put these facts together, okay? His age, he was young, all right? This was before he built the house of the Lord, before he built his own house, all right? But yet at the same time, we realize that Rehoboam was born before this, okay? Solomon reigned 40 years, Rehoboam reigned on his heels, and Rehoboam was 41 years of age. So this shows us that he was probably right about 20 years of age when this all transpired. So all that to say this, Solomon was a young man when he took on this awesome responsibility of being king of, the, of, of uh, Israel at a time when Israel prospered in a wonderful way. She had peace all about her because of the exploits of David and because of David's faithful and, uh, leadership. And so Solomon steps into this responsibility. Now, we know also from these verses right here, uh, we know also from these verses that um, he already made some unwise choices. Now, he was young, and it's really not too hard to understand how a young person can make some unwise choices. But, you know, you read these first couple of verses here, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Okay, not a good choice. <laughs> okay, he's already kind of saddling up and kind of uh, getting close to the world. Egypt was a picture of the world. And so here's Solomon already making affinity with a worldly nation right here. He was to depend upon God for his protection, not Pharaoh. He was not to cotton up to Pharaoh, so to speak, so that he could have Pharaoh's protection and Egypt's protection. He needed God's protection because God was the one who was going to protect him against all the enemies that he would ever face. And so not only does he get kind of cozy with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he made an end of building his own house. And so now he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Now, back then the kings did that because, all right, uh, I know you're not going to attack me if I've got your daughter over here as my wife. So it was kind of like a little political uh, wedding that took place. Now, she might have been a beautiful young lady, and uh, he might have had other reasons for taking her as his wife. But the thing of it was, 
He at the same time made a very unwise choice. This was not something that the kings of Israel, this was not something anybody in Israel should do. And that is marry a foreigner who did not believe and trust in Christ and who was not uh, a, a follower of uh, Jehovah God. And so, making some poor choices here. Then we see in verse number 2 here, it says, Only the, Lord, the people sacrificed in high places. They were not supposed to sacrifice in high places. They were supposed to sacrifice at Jerusalem. Now I understand that the house of the Lord, the temple there, was not built in Jerusalem yet. But at the same time, the people were sacrificing out there. But if you look at verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of the Lord. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Okay, so we see that even his worship was tainted right now with some of the worldly worship of the gods of the land or the people of the land. So Solomon already has a little bit of a slant going in the wrong direction. But verse number three tells us something very encouraging, that is he loved the Lord. Now the truth of the matter is, um, anybody who's called to lead anybody, um, God doesn't choose perfect people to lead his people. If he did, nobody would be have a leader <laughs> because every single one of us are sinners. And, and God chose Solomon for reasons that obviously God had. But the truth of the matter is, is Solomon has some flaws, but Solomon also has some very good qualities about him. And God chose him knowing who he was. And God chooses us knowing who we are too. All of us have things about us that need to be more or surrendered to God and things that need to be changed to become more Christ-like. And if we're honest, we would admit that. Solomon did as well, but nonetheless, we just say this up front about Solomon. He was assuming the responsibility of a thriving kingdom. Listen, David had defeated all the enemies round about him. It didn't matter who David went up against, he defeated them. So he was a conquering king. David was an amazing king in Israel, and David never turned from the Lord his God. Now, he had a time when he was with Bathsheba. He didn't turn from God necessarily. Well, I guess he did. But he, he followed his passions and that got him in trouble. And as a matter of fact, he suffered for it the rest of his, day, of his reign there in Jerusalem. But the truth of the matter was, he still, he never followed the foreign gods. He still followed the Lord all the days of his life. And that's a very important facet of David's life. And so, David, at this particular time, he delivered the kingdom of Solomon. David was an old man, but yet he delivered the kingdom to Solomon at a time when there was peace they had peace with all their enemies. Nobody was coming against them. As a matter of fact, the entire time of Solomon's reign, there was nobody, there's no enemies that actually assaulted Israel during the time of Solomon. So he was delivered a thriving kingdom, and he was also delivered a peaceful kingdom at the same time. So this is what he's stepping into. Wonderful, wonderful, an awesome responsibility. Okay? He was following the reign of a very successful leader. That can be a problem because... People get used to successful leaders, especially somebody like David. David served as king for 40 years, seven years in Hebron, and then another 33 years at Jerusalem right there. And so for 40 years, he was the ruler. He was a conqueror. He was a good leader. He was the sweet shepherd, the psalmist of Israel. David was a spiritual leader. I mean, David was an amazing man. He was powerful. He was strong. At the same time, he had a tender side of him that followed God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so David was an amazing leader. Following on the heels of such strong leadership 
It's a tough position to step into no matter how you look at it. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care if it's a city. I don't care if it's a nation. Anybody who steps into a position of leadership following a very successful and dynamic leader is going to have some challenges. And so Solomon was facing that reality as well. And he was anointed at the same time his brother was attempting to seize power. So Adonijah who was uh, decided he was going to be king instead of David. All right, David was old, he was stricken in years, and he wasn't able to do some of the responsibilities of a king at that time. So Adonijah decided he was going to be the king. So he blows the trumpet, he gets Joab, and he gets uh, 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 a few people to follow him, and he decides he's going to take over and he's going to be king because dad's so old right now, dad can't handle this anymore. Well, on the heels of that, I mean, when that is happening, in the process of that taking place, in comes Bathsheba. Bathsheba was, a, was the mother of Solomon. In comes Nathan the prophet. And they say to Solomon, uh, to David, uh, didn't you say that Solomon was the one who was supposed to reign in your stead? Yes, well, right now what's taking place over here is Adonijah has usurped authority, and Adonijah has, is fixing to take, resp uh, uh, assume responsibility or usurp authority over the kingdom right now. And in comes Nathan the prophet with the same story. Well, as it was, David says, okay. Take my mule and have Solomon ride on my mule and anoint Solomon and, and let all of Jerusalem know that Solomon's going to be the next king of Israel. So Solomon is literally being anointed king while his brother already had the bid in and was trying to gain a fellowship for him at the very same time. Not the best situation to be anointed king while your brother is trying to be the king also at the same time. So you can see there were some pretty big challenges here before Solomon. And he was chosen, but here's the thing. He was chosen by God to be the king. Amen? You know, you know folks, sometimes God can step us into a place of leadership, of responsibility, and we can think, we can be overwhelmed by all that transpires, or all that's before us, or all that we have to do, or all that we have to be. But when God gives you the responsibility and God chooses you to do whatever it is that you have to do, then you have to trust God to give you what you need to do. Now, we all face various levels of responsibility in our lives. Some of, you, some of you work in a business and you have a very responsible position at your place of business. People follow you. You lead them. Some of you are parents. That is an awesome responsibility to be a parent of a child or children. These are living souls. They're going to go someplace forever. And God gives you the awesome responsibility to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is an awesome responsibility. You say, well, that doesn't really pale in comparison to Solomon leading the nation. Oh, don't you think that way? Don't you think that way? You need to realize you have a great position. It's a sad thing today was done to a lot of our ladies. A lot of our ladies think they're second-class citizens because they are home with a bunch of kids who have diapers and mess their house up and, and dirty their clothes and eat the groceries, and they think somehow, you know, they are not as good as the lady who's working out there in an office someplace making uh, uh, six-digit figures, uh, and they think somehow that, that that lady is not as important. Let me tell you something. I think who, I forgot who said it, but the hand that rules, rock, rocks the cradle rules the nation. 
your power and your influence is much, much more than what you give yourself perhaps credit for, or somebody else has robbed you of the, of the ideology of how important you are in your home taking care of your kids. Now listen, I'm nothing against ladies who, who uh, are out there working, but I would say this, don't do it at the expense of your families. Don't do it at the expense of your children. Don't think that you that you take in a higher position by letting the babysitter take care of your kids or the daycare taking care of your kids. No, God gives you these kids. That's an awesome responsibility. And don't think you're second class. And don't, by any means, any of us say anything that would make any of these dear mothers think that they're a second class citizen because they are not out in the workforce. There are some ladies that do a great job out there. Some of them aren't able to have children. God gives different people different responsibility. I'm not saying who, who, what you're supposed to be. I'm just saying let's make sure we don't undermine the awesome responsibility of being a wife, a mother, and taking care of little children who will one day work and rule in the land. So um, that was free. <laughs> So Psalm was chosen by God. Awesome responsibility. And we need to understand just how awesome this was. Chosen by God to reign. Okay, let's go on to the next point here. That is, is an authentic rationale. You know, Psalm didn't know this was coming. He was asleep. He didn't know. God didn't warn him. God didn't say, I'm going to show up tonight, so be ready. Got some very hard questions for you. Or I got some, so I got an opportunity for you. I want you to be ready for it. None of this happened. Basically, we're, we got raw Solomon here. we got Solomon with his, 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 his inner desires that he had uh, before the Lord. And so, um, in this particular incident right here, in verses number 3 through verses number 8, I just want you to listen to these verses as I read them to you. And Solomon loved the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. Verse number four says, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For there was a great high place, and a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give thee. Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in the uprightness of, of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Now, if you read that passage and you take each of those different things that he acknowledged before God, you see an attitude. You see an authenticity in the very heart of Solomon as he could, as he could converse with the Lord here. And so you see Solomon, number one, he loved the Lord. And now, obviously, this is what we have recorded in the Scripture. We can't doubt that. God tells us this. God knew that he loved him. And so this is a wonderful testimony it's a wonderful testimony for anyone who's a leader, that they love the Lord, that they love their God. Solomon did. This was a testimony here in verse number 3. We see that he walked in the statutes of David, verse number 3 here. So he was walking, not just walk, past tense, but walking 
He was in the present tense. He was walking the statutes of his father David. His father David followed the Lord. And Solomon was trying to walk in his daddy's footsteps, walking and following the Lord as God. God saw that. But this is what God's testimony is about Solomon the king. Again, this is all before, you see. Uh, this is all taking place in the life of Solomon. We see thirdly, that he sacrificed lavishly, verse number four. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that it was a great high place, a thousand burnt offerings. A thousand burnt offerings. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's a lot of burnt offerings. That's a thousand lambs or a thousand rams, whatever it might be. That's a lot of burnt offerings. And the king did this lavishly because he thought God was worth that much. He loved God, and he loved God much, and he sacrificed much because of his great love for God. You know, sometimes we can get stingy with God, and sometimes that's a reflection of how much we think about God. Solomon was not stingy with God. He wasn't stingy with his sacrifice. He wasn't stingy with his offering. He was, he was lavish with his offering because he loved God with this degree of love and this degree of desire and worship. These are good things to know about Solomon. He recognized his godly father. Look at verse number 6. It says here in Solomon, see, I'm going to show you that verse here because it's, it's just so full of, of his attitude here. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy. Notice the things that he acknowledges here. That he acknowledges about God toward David his father. But at the same time, he's acknowledging that he admires these things in his father. He says, thou hast uh, sh uh, showed thy servant David. He acknowledges that David was the servant of the Lord. He says, my father, great mercy. God, you have been very merciful to my father who was your servant. You see all these things revealed. According as he walked before thee in truth. He's saying, you know, Lord, my father walked before you according to the truth that you gave him. All of these things are revelations to us. All of these things, I guess you could say, are affirmations to us about what Solomon felt about his dad and obviously what he thinks is valuable as far as his life is concerned. And he says he walked with the in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart. So here he's talking about the motive that David operated by. So he is, he is acknowledging these motives and he is acknowledging before the Lord that he recognizes that David was doing this according to his relationship with God. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, and thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne. Solomon is acknowledging the fact that this was a privilege. How important for us to realize that when God gives us responsibilities, and God gives us opportunities, these are privileges. That God entrusted us with various responsibilities, with that, that to, to do what he needed done, and he called on us to do so. Solomon acknowledged this, this in this particular verse here. He says, you have, he says, you have kept this great kindness. You know, he had two brothers that tried to do this on their own. Okay, Absalom, he usurped authority against his kingdom, tried to turn the kingdom against his father David. If that wasn't, Absalom was killed in the battle, and here comes Adonijah. Adonijah's going to try to do the very same thing. And so he has two brothers prior to that tried to take it by stealth and tried to take the kingdom from David. Solomon didn't do that. He knew the kingdom was promised him, but he didn't try to take it by stealth. He waited for God to, to take it and give it to him. And he realized it was a great kindness 
for God to do this to him. What a privilege I have to serve you in this capacity. And God, you've done this for me. These are great things for us to understand and to know as we're serving the God of gods. Amen? And he has done these things for us. And he goes on, I was given a, and that thou hast given him a son, David my father, a son, to sit on his throne as it is this day. And he says, and now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. That shows his humility. His humility. He didn't go into this thinking he knew everything. Adonijah, I should say, Absalom thought he knew everything. He said, well, you know, my father doesn't know what's going on right here. He doesn't know what's going on. I'd be a better king to my father. I'm going to take the, uh, the kingdom to myself. Well, God didn't choose Absalom. Adonijah thought the same thing. Uh, you know what? My father can't handle this right now, so I'm going to take the kingdom to myself. God didn't choose Adonijah. See, God chose Solomon. You know why? Because of these things that you're reading right here in these verses, this very attitude, this very motivation, this very heartbeat is what prepared him to be the kind of leader that God wanted for his nation at that time. We need a humble spirit in leadership. Amen? Amen. You know, parents, sometimes we think we have to have all the answers. Sometimes humility will get you far further than trying to be the know-it-all. Trying to think that, you know, dad has to have all the answers. You know, sometimes dad has to say, you know what, son? I don't know. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to do my best to find out. Sometimes moms do the same thing. You know, sometimes we think we have to have the answers to all these kids' problems and all these kids' questions. Sometimes we just have to be humble enough to say, you know, I just don't know. But I'll find out. I'm going to do my best to find out. You know, humility. The Bible says before grace, we need to have humility. And the grace comes from God. But we're not going to get the grace from God if we are proud and think we have all the answers. The way that grace comes from God is when you admit that you don't have all the answers. When you admit that you are inadequate. When you admit you can't do this without God. That's when the grace comes. That's when you cry out to God and say, God, I just don't know what to do with this kid. I don't know what to do in this situation. I just don't know exactly how I'm supposed to handle this. God help me. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But... Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see, God wants to give us wisdom, but we have to make sure when he gives it, we utilize the wisdom he gives. Because sometimes the wisdom of God is contrary to the mind of men. And God needs us to follow his wisdom, not our own. Well, here's Solomon saying to God, God, I'm but a child. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to come out. I don't know how this king stuff works, really. I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to do here. God help me. Amen? I remember when we went down to Southam, and I was a youth pastor for, let me see, for 12 years, and I had a responsibility that was given me to start a camp ministry down in Louisiana. You say, had you ever run a camp ministry before? No. Took my kids to camp, but as far as running the camp, knowing how to start things, I had no clue. You say, well, what did you do? Well, first of all, I had to realize it was God that was calling me to do it. And when I realized it was God that was calling me to do it, then I want to tell you what I did. The first thing I did, we had a little prayer chapel. If you go into Southland Christian Camp and you go in that main drive on the left-hand side, there's a little prayer chapel over there. One of the first places I visited when I was given the responsibility was that little prayer chapel. And I had the two fellows there to lay hands on me and say, God, give me the wisdom that I need to get this camp going. 
because I have never been a camp director before, and I don't, I, I, I've never been a pastor before, and I'm supposed to go to these pastors all over the Mid-South and tell them to come to this camp and try to help them out, and I have never been a pastor before. I've just been a youth pastor, and I really wasn't full of confidence. I was really full of apprehension, but God I knew called me, and so I knew if God called me, he could equip me. And it wasn't because I had all the answers. I had a lot of questions. But I knew that where God guides, he provides. Amen? And God gives what wisdom we need when we need it. When I came to this church, I didn't know how God was going to do what he was going to do. But I knew this. If God called me, God can take care of our needs. And God can guide us. Did we do it all perfect? Oh, no, 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 no. No, we didn't. We made our sure a share of boo-boos and stuff like that. But God knows my heart. I wanted to do my best. I wanted him to, 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 to be honored in this whole thing. And so God does that with you. and God does that with all of us. He wants us just to come to him and humbly ask him for what we need. Because he never meant for us to do this on our own. He wants us to be partners with him in ministry. Amen. We're, we're, this is not our ministry. This is not our kingdom. This is his ministry and this is his kingdom. And if we keep the right mindset, it'll sure help us to get things done in a more uh, uh, godly fashion. The problem is, is we start thinking this is our kingdom and we start building our kingdom. But Solomon knew from the beginning here this was God's kingdom. But yet there was pressures he would face later on like we all do. And so we see this about Solomon. And he goes on to say, um, I'm but a little child. I know not how to go out nor come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people. So not only does he acknowledge the fact that he is little, he is, doesn't have the answers, he also acknowledges the greatness of the people that he's to lead. The greatness of the responsibility that God has placed him under. This is a great people, God. I mean, this is many people. And this is, I don't, this is, how am I going to do this? That's a wonderful spirit to have. I don't care if you're coaching a baseball team or if you're teaching a class of Sunday school kids or if you've got a class in, uh, that you're teaching elsewhere or if you're leading a family or I don't care what it is. We all need to understand it's all about God. Amen? We're doing this for the Lord. And so we see this in these verses here. And uh, so I'll go back here to my outline. So he recognizes his godly father. He acknowledged he was God's servant in verse number 7. He realized he was doing this. God said he acknowledged God chose him to be the king in verse number 7. He acknowledged his, your, <laughs> that didn't go very well. He acknowledged his inexperience. Okay, whatever that is in there, that's a typo, okay. He acknowledged his inexperience. We all do well to do that. Acknowledge the fact that we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the experience. We don't have to. He saw the people as God's people, and he saw the huge responsibility of ruling so many people. So I say that there was an authentic rationale. In other words, this is the heartbeat behind what's going to take place in verse number 9. This is the heartbeat that made a request, like we're about to see in verse number 9. So verse number 9 just doesn't come out of the blue. Verse number nine comes out of these kind of convictions, these kind of thought processes, these kind of uh, uh, convincements. David said this, I should say Solomon said this in his dream. Subconsciously, he was aware of these things. And that helps us because we need to be aware of these kind of things as well in our own lives. Well, 
Now we look at an admirable request, verse number 9. An admirable request. This is the renowned request that he makes right here. Verse number 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Wow. What a request. Now, now listen, we're going to find out in a minute that God really appreciated this request. We should appreciate this request. This is the kind of heartbeat that we want to have as God lays responsibilities on our hearts. Wow. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. This is a, this is a wonderful thing for us to see in the heart of Solomon here. His desire for God to take him and use him in this fashion. How unselfish. How humble. How truly benevolent. How appropriate. How wise to begin with. He's asking for discernment, right? He's asking for good judgment. Well, this is a great start for good judgment. He has good judgment enough to ask this from the very beginning. And God saw this. How many 20-year-olds dream like this? Now, remember, this is a dream. <laughs> this wasn't a prepared test. He didn't sit down and read the textbook and say, okay, when God speaks to you, this is what you say. No, no. This was a subconscious. This was the way he was thinking in his very inner being. He's answering from his subconscious mind. He's answering from deep within himself. This whole discussion is taking place while Solomon is supposedly unconscious in a dream. But yet in his subconscious, he has this heart desire to do this for the people of God and to feel this way about the responsibility that God has given him. You know, folks, this is something we need to strive for. I, I talk about the word integrity. I love that word. Because integrity is when you are on the outside what you're supposed to be. Let's put it this way. When you are on the inside and what you are on the outside and those two match. That's integrity. When you have a heart that wants the right things and then you have hands and lips and eyes and ears and feet that do the things that your heart knows are right to do. That's integrity. Your inside and your outside agree. There's one message going through. No duplicity. No hypocrisy. You are what you know you should be, and you're striving with the best of your ability to be what you should be. I say this often. It's knowing, being, doing. It's knowing what's right, being what's right, and then consequently you do what's right. Now you're going to have a fight because we have opposition. We all have enemies. The flesh is your enemy. The world's your enemy. The devil's your enemy. Many times other people around you are going to try to persuade you otherwise. But you have to have this convincement. You have to have this, this inner yes, this inner ought that says, this is what I need to be. And then do we stray sometimes? Yes, we do. Do we make wrong choices sometimes? Yes, we do. And when we recognize them, what do we do? We confess our sins. We ask God to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and get back on the path, get back where you know you should be, get back to where your heart is convinced you should be all along. We're not perfect people. And I'm not saying here that you lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You do this in dependence on God. You can't do this by yourself. 
God wants you to depend upon Him for these things. Will you be tempted? Sure you will. Will you make poor choices? Yes, from time to time you will. What do you do? Get back on track. You know, sometimes we make New Year's resolutions. God, I'm going to do thus and so. And we do it for what? Sometimes a week, sometimes a month, sometimes a few weeks. And we fail. We let the alarm clock keep on buzzing the two, three more times. We get up late. We rush off to work. We don't do what we said we're going to do. What do we do? Well, they know what a lot of people do. Ah, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And they just give up. Oh, no, no, no. Confess it. Say, Lord, I said I was going to do this. And by the grace of God, I need your help. Help me to get going on the right track again and get back to where you're supposed to be. The Bible says a just man falls seven times, and then what does he do? He stays down, right? He just wallows in his failure. That's what he does? What does he do? He gets back up. He rises up again. Now, the just man is not a perfect man. The just man is a person who has found justification in God, you see, and God is his Savior. He's not just because he's perfect. He's just because in the sight of God, positionally, he's justified. But he's still a human, and he still does things wrong. And when he messes up, he recognizes it. He's humble enough to admit it. He gets back on track, and he gets going the way he should again. Now, the devil wants to take and just take those failures and throw them in your face and say, see that? You're no good. You can't do it. You're not a good Christian. You never were. You're just a phony. Everybody thinks you're this, and you're really not. Don't listen to him. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to take you, and he wants to make you waller in the mud of your own failures. Look to Jesus, amen? The author and finisher of your faith. Get back on your feet, and by the grace of God, do what God can give you the grace to continue to do. And, and who gets the glory when this is all said and done? God gets the glory. See, it's not all about you. It's all about him. Amen? He gets the glory. He gave you the grace. He gets the glory. And if you just keep pointing that way and make sure that you're not on the throne, get off the throne and let him stay on the throne, you're going to be far better off in your struggles. 20-year-old dreaming like this. You say, well, he was kind of optimistic. Okay. But he had some good thinking that had gone into his life. He had a dad that showed him the way. He was trying to follow the footsteps of his father, who was a just man, a good king, a valiant ruler, and a man who served God all the days of his life. And he's on the track to try to do the same thing. Many of us try to follow parents and try to follow people who lead us in the right way. And so I say, how about the rest of us? What about the rest of us? How would we, what requests would we make at a time like this? Do we see our dire need? Do you realize that you have a need too? Do you realize you have a need to be the good neighbor to your friends, your, your community? Do you realize you have a responsibility to be the kind of grandparent that your grandkids look up to? Do you realize that you need to be the kind of parent that God has called you to be, to take those young lives and lead them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and point them in the direction that they should go the rest of their lives? Do you realize in that company or in that job responsibility that people are watching you? So oh, nobody watches me. Oh, yes, they do. Don't let you be, don't be fooled about that. People are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your peers are watching you. They're watching how you respond to life. They're watching your attitude. They're, they're watching what you do. They're watching what you do. Every one of the, your neighbors know that you're at church today because they saw your car leave. 
because they watched. I'm actually amazed sometimes. I, my wife and I walk down and we walk around the neighborhood and stuff like that. We are amazed how many people know us. We don't know them, but they know us. You know what they call us? The walkers. Amen. <laughs> oh, you're the walkers. No, we're the Grams. <laughs> Those are the walkers over there. But hey, people are recognizing. We were on the park the other day, maybe a week or two ago, and this guy was walking, what, two or three dogs or something like that, and uh, we said, hey, you know, we introduced ourselves. Oh, he says, I know you. I see you walking all the time. Oh, we've never seen this guy before. It's, you know what? People know what you're doing. By the way, I know who walks by my front window, too. My wife and I have a little table that sits right in front of our window. We're nosy little neighbors. <laughs> we watch for who walks by, and sometimes we say, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so before in a while. You know, they used to walk all the time. We don't say, we haven't seen them in a while. Wonder what's everything, what's up with them? People are watching you, folks. They're watching you. You'd be surprised. They know if you come to the church. They know if you're not coming to the church. They know what's going on. We have responsibility. Every one of us have responsibility. You say, ah, I'm not a king. I'm not a queen of a big land. Oh, you'd be surprised how many people you have influence over. It might not be what you think is a great kingdom, but I guarantee you it's a lot bigger than you think. And don't belittle the responsibility or influence that you have in your life, in your sphere of influence. And then I come to this point here, an amazing reply. And we see this in the, in the verse here. If my verse will ever get here, come on. Okay. God was pleased with his request. I'm going to read verses 10 through 15 because, oh, 13 here, to tell you, uh, listen to what God says. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. <laughs> Remember, this came, the Lord comes to Solomon in a dream. Okay, this wasn't expected. Solomon didn't study for this test, but it was a test. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Solomon, I'm going to give you something that nobody's ever had before. More than any king before you, more than any king that will follow you. I'm going to give you discerning. I'm going to give you wisdom like no one's ever had before. He goes on and he says here, And I also have given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Solomon woke. Wow, what a dream. So God was pleased, so pleased that he gave him what he asked for, and to the nth degree. So pleased that he gave him much more than he asked for. So now, folks, I think we need to realize 
He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for honor. He didn't ask for longevity. He didn't ask for his enemies to be defeated. He simply asked for discernment, for wisdom, to guide the people over which God gave him responsibility. Now, as I look at this passage and I see this, I see a guiding principle. A guiding principle that I think every one of us, and I'm almost done, <laughs> that every one of us can take into account. It's a New Testament principle. And I think we can all quote the verse, and it's this. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first what? And what? And then what happens? Now you understand Matthew chapter 6 is talking about material things, material wealth. You know, it's not for us to seek material wealth. What's for us is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God says, when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and you want to do things in a righteous manner like I have called you to do, you know what? All these other things that the rest of the world is seeking so passionately after, they'll be added to you. Did Solomon seek riches and wealth and all that kind of? No, he didn't. What did he seek? He sought to do God's will, God's way with all of his heart, to have wisdom in doing so. God says, you know what? That pleases me so much. I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for and even more. And beside all that, I'm going to give you honor and I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you these other things. You see, they're tangential things. They're not the things we seek after. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then God takes those other things and he adds them to you. But what is the world doing today? They're seeking their own wealth. They're seeking their own honor. They're seeking their own kingdoms. And they're going to be paupers if they're Christians in the kingdom of God, if they even are part of the kingdom of God. Folks, the way to do it, young people, the way to do it, Seek God. Seek God. Make that your heartbeat so that if God appears to you in a dream and you're asleep while you're unconscious, that it's so much a part of the fabric of who you are that you would say in your dream, in your sleep, God, what I want more than anything else is wisdom to live for you. Wisdom to assume my responsibilities so that you're pleased with my life. God, that's what I want more than anything. Parents, this is what you need to plead for. God, give me the wisdom to be the kind of parent I need to be. Give me the wisdom to be the husband I need to be. You, as workers, as, as people who are serving other employers and people across the land, God, give me wisdom to be the best employee that I can possibly be. If you're the boss, if people are working for you, God, give me wisdom to be the best boss that I can be for those who are working for me. Ask the kingdom principle, the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God. Let that be primary. And whatever it is that you make, that's secondary. But if you're seeking for the things of this world first and primarily, you're going to miss what God wants you to do and what God wants you to be in this life. God can take care of you much more than you can try to take care of yourself. A little girl's waving at me. I'm just waving right back at her. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. How about you? My question, how about you? What kind of things do you dream about? What are your dreams like? Say, oh, boy, I have some wild ones. 
the more you get the Word of God in your heart and the, the fear of God in your heart and the ways of God in your heart, the more your very dreams will reflect the ways of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What responsibilities are you assuming or have you assumed for the kingdom of God? By the way, you say, oh, Pastor, you know, I thought the kingdom of God was just kind of stuff you do in church. Oh, no, 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 no. You're working for kingdom of God at home. You're working for the kingdom of God principles in your neighborhood. You're working for the kingdom of God in your place of employment. You're working for the kingdom of God everywhere you go. You see, there's no difference. Let's put it this way. We don't separate the secular from the sacred. All of life is sacred. God gives it all to us. All ground is holy ground. Amen? If you treat it as such. It's not like you come to church and now it's all holy and serve God. And you walk out those doors and, okay, it's all about me now. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what God intends. God doesn't want you just Sunday at 11. He wants you 24-7. Amen? Amen? Jesus died to save your life, to deliver your soul and every minute of your life, our lives. God help us to live for him. And I have one more point. And that's this. You little guys, you little ones that think this is just for adults, don't you be afraid to dream for God. Don't you be afraid to want the things of God for your life. Start early. Desire early. It's not just little kid Sunday school stuff. These are the kind of things you need to desire from the time that you're youth. You're not secondary citizens. Jesus said that you have a spirit that he wants for all of his kingdom. The spirit, the humility of a child. So every little child, in kids' church, but I say this nonetheless. Yeah, let me wake it up and show them. <laughs> Don't stop dreaming for God. Let's pray, Lord, we pray that you'd help us. God, you've given us all a part in your kingdom. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the missionary. It's not just the deacon. Not just the Sunday school teacher. Lord, it's every single one of us. We have kingdom responsibilities. Lord, we need you. After doing things a while, sometimes we think we can do it on our own. And Lord, help us cleanse us of that thought. Help us to recognize just how much we need you all the time. And God help us to have the spirit that Solomon displayed early on in his life as a young person, around 20 as far as we understand. He recognized why David, his father, was blessed. He sought to live like his father early in his reign. And God help us, I pray, to recognize the same things. To recognize who you bless and why. And try to emulate with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those very things, just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Help us to find our Pauls and follow you as our Pauls in life have shown us. Might be that godly Sunday school teacher. It might be that grandfather. It might be that mom or dad that just wakes up every day and 
looks to you in their time and devotions and follows you throughout the day. But God, help us, I pray, to follow as we see faithful men following you so that we one day can be that faithful man. God, we pray that when you, however you do this, if you were to appear to us, that we would have the same heartbeat that Solomon did. 